Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, Maltopians, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Maltopia podcast. Join us on our new Discord at the link in the description to talk about your favorite series and episodes. And to help support us, give us a quick rating and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Discord. And as always, enjoy the show. 
The steel hinges of the coffin whined as its thick door swung open, revealing Dylan Wicket. A conversation like this requires both speakers to be on equal footing. Don't you agree? His smile was eerily white against the darkness of his container, like something plastic and lit up. A carnival grin. His shadowy form was lean, bordering on skinny. I could feel my heart slamming against my chest. I thought his question merely cosmetic, something shiny before he emptied his latest victim of her internal organs. But the man just stood there, grinning, waiting patiently for my answer. Yes. Good. Let's begin. Now. You wanted to know if the woman is my mother, yes? No. She is not my mother. That sort of motherhood was reserved for another, whose name means little to me now. There is nothing special about that variety of creation, if indeed there is anything creative or generative in motherhood at all. All of that is automatic, artifice, without true direction or misdirection. I was intended, is what I mean. It was the will of this world that I be, and so I was. But she, the woman, was not of the will of the world. She came from beyond its design, or perhaps despite its design. She found me, put me out of the world's sight. She showed me the strings, so to speak. That's why I'm here, you see because I'm not supposed to be. Now, ask me another question. His words were almost calming, not at all the stuff of nightmares I'd imagined. That said, the man was clearly crazier than the mad fucking hatter. Regardless, he was filling in the blind spots, and my obsession began eclipsing my fear. Can you tell me about some of the people she was known to travel with, the two gigantic men and the two small girls? Yes. The largest of the men, as you call them, was nothing of the sort. He was a monster of the truest nature. He had gone beyond the world, too. He just took a very different path to get out. He was in love with her, clearly. He loved her even more than he hated everything else. Of course, she did not love him, at least not romantically. He was also horribly, horribly scarred. He was mauled, not long after his birth, by a pack of ravening wolves. Lord knows how he survived. Or if he survived, in any meaningful sense. He hated me, and I returned the sentiment, often. The woman called him father, though he was nothing of the sort to her. It was clear she had plans for him that he had not yet reckoned, but I kept her secret. As I said, I hated the monster. The other man was named Donald, or Donnie. He wasn't at all fond of the latter appellation, which is why I called him by it almost exclusively. It was because of him, actually, that I felt compelled to leave. Clashing ideologies, I suppose. I don't know where she got him, but she was certainly fond of him. It was his eyes, I think. God, they were black, like no eyes I'd ever seen before, or since. I'd catch her staring into them whenever she thought no one else was looking, but I'm always watching. After she'd take her gaze from him, she'd just smile and smile, like a child contemplating Christmas. 
It happened that Donnie had a preoccupation with art. More like an obsession, really. That is, if you deemed what he construed as art befitting the name. I suppose his work qualified, but that didn't stop me from challenging his notion of it. It was on this very score that we clashed over our differences. Once. But once was all it took. You see, when it came right down to it, Donald was the biggest monster of them all. I remember that our meeting took place in the dark, and it was warm out with a slight breeze. I had argued that art was preordained, just faded scribbles in the designer's margin. He was not fond of my interpretation of his craft, not in the least. In those days, I loved nothing more than to find a pack of dogs, or wolves, when the opportunity presented, and run naked with them. Whenever the wolves and I would land a buck, or if I could convince them something a little higher up the food chain, I loved to imagine what father's infant flesh might have tasted like. But that night, very much to our misfortune, the wolves and I were the prey. Donnie, of course, was the predator. He came out of the night at us. The dogs splashed off him like water. Their feral ferocity and hulking size meant precisely nothing to him. He killed them with little effort. Now, I'm not one to fall victim to monsters, you should realize. I just so happen to be one myself. But Donnie, he was more than a monster. He was an artist. And there aren't many of those around. He taught me such lessons that night. I suppose I ought to have thanked him, really, which is why I couldn't. You see, the path of least resistance is the path which has been chosen for us. And my destination lies beyond the thorny thickets, always. The little girls now, they were little more than the purest spirits of murder I've ever come across. Beyond their smiles and knives, they were death, plain and simple. But oh, did Donnie love those two. Thick as thieves they were. I secretly envied their closeness. They'd often sneak into the cellar of an abandoned building or the darkness of some other underground place, and Donnie would read children's stories to them. But he would always embellish the tales in some of the darkest ways imaginable. And the twins would just laugh and laugh. I miss those days. Now, you said you heard of me through that group of fools, the Bowers. I have no choice but to let them live, obviously. But I certainly hope something terrible has befallen them since last I've heard of them. My head was spinning from the killer's tail, and I scarcely realized it was my turn to talk. Oh, um, well, if getting butchered and then having your organs stuffed into a giant dead dog is horrible, then you should be on cloud nine. His sideshow grin returned, brighter than before. He let his head slump backwards, and he began laughing. Movement in my periphery caused me to glance towards the end of the hallway. The custodian had appeared from around a corner. Mr. Wicket noticed my diverted attention and let out a contented sigh. It seems our conversation has come to an end. I feared he might still choose to seek me out, especially since he had revealed so many of his secrets, including a few useful nuggets about himself. The killer had a weakness. 
He felt he couldn't act when the path was clearest. He had to do the opposite of what would naturally be expected of him. So, as he returned to his coffin and drew the door shut with a click, I whispered, My name is Genevieve Castellano. His electric smile flashed through the door's thin air vents. Very clever. You've just earned the rest of your life. Moving to leave, I somehow felt relieved. I didn't know why, but I knew I could trust him. Genevieve. I paused at the doorway. Call me wicked. While my interview with Wicked hadn't furnished many leads on the witch, it did provide a few dangling threads about her traveling companions. The specific thread I was most interested in pulling concerned the father. That bit about nearly getting eaten by wolves really piqued my interest. Once I plugged in all the requisite terms into my computer's search engine, only one result stood out to me. The Paul Bunyan slayings of 1963, which had never been solved. In total, 12 lumberjacks have been slain by what a survivor called a scarred giant wielding an axe. The extreme backwoods location of the murders would make an ideal place for an infant to find itself at the mercy of wolves. So, without missing a beat, I was off to the Great North. I arrived in the small town of Hunter's Silence sometime late in the following evening. A puddle jumper of a plane had only brought me within a six-hour drive of the tiny town, and I was exhausted by the time I checked into its only motel. As I passed through the small office of the Crooked Place, I nabbed a handful of sightseeing brochures from a shelf next to the public bathroom. Right off the bat, I was confronted with the reason for my recent travels. The brochure, entitled What Sets Hunter's Silence Apart, prominently featured a sizable blurb about the killings from 1963. The pages were enlightening. Visit the site where the infamous lumberjack killer put a dozen burly lumberjacks to the axe. Stand in the glen where a giant axe-wielding lunatic came out of the storm and turned the winter red with death. Perhaps you might hear the screams of the butchered lumberjacks or even the pounding steps of the monstrous killer that left bloody, shoeless footprints larger than any man's. Some say he was a rabid, ravaging Bigfoot. Others claim it was nothing less than the very spirit of Paul Bunyan himself. Still, others assume the murderer to be the vile, flesh-eating Wendigo. Whatever the case, come visit the Fallen Glen, and pray you leave in one piece. <laughs> Clearly, small towns had to eat too, and the lumberjack killer seemed to be this one's sole meal ticket. That was fine by me. With everyone living off the same legend, it should lead to some clues. When I got to my room, I barely had the energy to turn down my sheets before I collapsed into bed. As was becoming the norm, no sooner had my head hit the pillow than I was tossed into a strange dream. A cold forest at night. I was a wolf in a pack, much larger than my brethren. Starving and hunting, I could hear whispers dripping alongside the drool that spilled from my mammoth mouth. 
As we ran, I caught a glimpse of my shadow leaping across a moonlit expanse of snow. I saw a tangle of limbs hanging from my gaping jaws. I wasn't a wolf at all. I was the Bower's undead dog. We were following the scent of blood, though I wasn't sure how I knew. At some point, the night sky began to dump on us, piling snow and howling winds upon the forest. We leapt down the irregular steps of a steep cliff, making our way towards the lee of a huge boulder. My ears joined in the chase, confirming what my nose already knew. There was a woman just beneath the stony outcropping, moaning and crying. I saw the shape of a prone woman splayed out on the ground beneath the overhang. I could almost taste her blood. We were all but on top of her before I realized she was giving birth. But to what precisely, I didn't know. The babe appeared the size of a child several years in age, swimming with his mother in a sea of her blood. We sunk our teeth into the pair, and the woman fell quiet. Whether from blood loss or not, I couldn't tell. As for the baby, I never heard it cry. But I did hear the gunshots. Someone was pouring hot lead into my pack, scattering us, killing a few. As I looked back, I saw a man covered in hides and furs leering down the smoking barrel of his rifle. Another thunderous shot sounded, and I flew up from my bed, sweating like a pig. The next day was nice and sunny. I don't think I would have ventured out to the Fallen Glen otherwise. My nerves were shot and my hands shaky. My thoughts drifted again to a little booze for lubrication, and again they were replaced by an incessant need to find the witch. I wasn't sure if trading one addiction for another was a good idea, but it appeared I didn't have a say in the matter. I reached the entrance to the long hike into the glen, and found gigantic paw prints in the dirt. I took a deep breath, recalling Wicked's coffin door opening and the electric flash of his smile. My odds were probably better against the dog. The sparkle of the sun-dappled woods along the trail was lost to me. Perhaps I was too busy dreading what waited for me in the glen, considering I had brought my sleeping bag and intended to spend the night there. I couldn't explain it. The plan went against every journalistic instinct I had. I should have spent the day questioning the locals, but somehow I knew that would be delaying the inevitable. This story was different. The witch was different. The Fallen Glen was just plain creepy. I had mistakenly assumed it would look like any other random chunk of woods, but the truth was covered in dead trees, a monstrous tangle of thorny thickets and rocks that looked more like the balding pates of gigantic demons, slowly rising up from the ground. It wasn't the must-see tourist attraction advertised. I spent the day hiking around looking for something, anything, that would provide a clue. But no pear trees or fancy caves evidenced themselves. Throughout the entire afternoon and evening, I never saw another human being. Night crept up and I slid into the thicker layers of the forest for cover. Rolling out my sleeping bag in a clearing, I stretched out, tired and sore from the day's hiking. It felt as though the witch started talking to me before I fell asleep. 
I dreamed she was standing behind me, whispering at me from the deepest night-drenched brambles. I didn't need to see her to know she was smiling. Here you are, tiptoeing through the dark woods upon blood-soaked earth, with a big bad dog nipping at your heels. How far you've come, Genevieve. You will find what you came for. Or rather, it will find you. I was awoken by a man's rough hand seizing me by the neck and lifting me off the ground. My 38 was out in an instant, but huge fingers swallowed my hand up to the wrist, snapping bones like twigs. Pain exploded up my arms as his other hand grabbed my hair, bouncing my head off a nearby tree. The beating continued and I heard myself begging for my life. I still didn't even know who was killing me. Once I was reasonably broken, my attacker slung me over his shoulder and carried me deeper into the woods. The guy paid no attention to footpaths, choosing to plow straight through the underbrush. Judging by my height from the ground, the man was improbably tall. Thorns and branches tore at every exposed part of my body and I could do little to shield myself from the onslaught. We traveled up into the mountains for what felt like at least an hour. Between pained gasps, I tried to pull together any useful information I could gather about the guy, passing notes to myself through the smashed window of my mind. I tucked away anything that might give me an advantage, if I ever got a chance to face off with him. He was right-handed, heavily whiskered, and freshly bathed. I could smell strong, cheap soap on him. Was that for my benefit? Did he seek some kind of approval from me? That could be the leverage I needed. We finally reached some kind of rickety little shack strung with vintage lanterns and wildflowers. I was pretty sure they were for me. He threw me into a heap of animal furs. His soap had worn off miles ago, and I could tell the furs were his bed. I shivered at the thought of what he might be working up to. Fire sprung from a crooked hearth made of piled stones, and I could feel warmth attempting to penetrate my raked flesh. A man, a big man, walked in front of the firelight. Made of towering shadow, the fire at his back filled his face with darkness. His breathing, for the first time, began to grow erratic, and he started to fidget. He turned to avoid my stare. Was he ashamed of what he'd done? I thought to try and divert him with some fancy words, but his hands were already around my neck by the time I opened my mouth. His weight fell on me like an avalanche, and the world went black. I awoke to the sun breaking over the horizon. Putting my hands to my face, I realized I was unhurt. My gun was still snug as a bug in its holster. I took it out, if only to make myself feel a little more secure. But the smell of the man's breath still lingered, either in the air or in my memory. Whichever, it made me sick to my stomach. I could see a patch of matted down grass, only a foot or so from where I'd bedded down. There was slobber everywhere and huge paw prints in the dirt. Something had kept me company while I slept. As I made my way back to the motel, I focused my anger and fear on the dream, 
what it meant. Nothing else mattered. I caught myself more than a few times, affecting a limp and cradling my head, trying to assuage wounds that had never been inflicted outside of a nightmare. Even my body had been tricked by the dream. By the time I reached my room, I was completely lost in the tangles of this new part of the witch's mystery. All throughout my musings about undead dogs and prophetic dreams and supernatural witches, I had somehow successfully firewalled the darkest implications of what was happening from myself. But as an alcoholic, that part of the gig was old hat. Normal sleep came quickly and I spent the morning and most of the afternoon sound asleep. I made it to the library only a few hours before it closed. Lucky for me, the local interest section was pretty small. It didn't take long to locate what I was looking for. Or more likely, whatever was guiding me forward didn't want to waste time on me looking through books like Animals Common to the Canadian Wilderness. My clue was hiding in a book called Myths and Monsters of the Great North Woods. There was a bit about how the Wendigo, a cannibal spirit that possessed people, might have been responsible for a number of disappearances in the woods surrounding the area that is now called Hunter's Silence. In particular, two disappearances struck me right away, a lumberjack and a logging foreman's daughter. The lumberjack, Wellington Hest, was described as particularly large and powerful and was thought to have been taken by the Wendigo after he failed to return from a patch of trees he was clearing. All that remained of the man were small quantities of blood in a ripped shirt. The woman, Bertha Pines, was said to have gone missing shortly after Hest failed to return. In truth, what I really had was just a handful of straw with very little to justify the kinds of connections I was trying to make. But my nightmare was already hard at work within my subconscious, filling in the details. Almost intuitively, I saw how it could have happened. Hest might have had an unreciprocated crush on Pines, faked his death, and then nabbed Pines when no one was looking, taking her back to his love shack in the deep woods to do horrible things to her. When I combined my theory with the earlier dream about the wolves, a terrible picture began to emerge. I needed to know more, how the witch figured into all of this. And if it still stood, I would need to find the old shack and sleep in it. I had fully started down a path that led away from the world. I tried to treat everything with the dispassion of a dogged journalist on the burning trail of the story of the century, but I now realized there could be no story. This story contained details and connections that were spread out between two worlds. Its players were perched on the edge of life, death, and dream and its facts played between believability and lunacy. No, this wasn't about the witch anymore, or about telling a story to the world. This was about me. We'd like to give a special shout-out to our patrons who make this all possible. Helenius... Zach Neen, Alyssa Lindler, John Nemechek, ADHD is a consultant now, Abyssal B, Coasira Luminarium, Peter, Sarah Zartolamna, Nick, K. Davis, G Man, Andrew Knott, Thesis Ascendant, David Gregory, Ian Hagen, Jonathan Shank, Kurt Kornfeld, Deborah Carpenter, 
and Sarah Anselon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Today we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Elbion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities. We learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Circe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.